This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see Glenn and Dorothy Vud here, all the way from down under, way down under. Okay, well, if you all like to take your Bibles, we'll get ready to start here in Matthew chapter 10. And uh, we're going to be covering these verses here from verse 16 through 18 this morning. And so just to give a little bit of context, we're going to start up at verse 8. So Matthew 10, verse 8, here's where we're going to start. First, let's pray. Father, help us now as we come to your word and ask for your spirit to teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 10, verse five. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely ye have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till you go thence. And when you come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils. They will scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. Okay, so what we've seen here in this passage is that the Lord Jesus in the previous chapter, in chapter nine there, he finishes up 
with this great need that he sees in verse 36 of chapter nine where it says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. So he's, he's not just moved, he is moved, but he's not only, just, doesn't just, just stay there in that state of just being moved for them, he goes to action. And his first action in the last part of chapter nine in verse 37 and 38 is a call to prayer. He calls, he says, he says to his disciples, he says, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And then what he does from that point is he goes to prayer. He goes to prayer all night long. And at the end of that, which is the chapter where now in verses two through three, he calls his apostles. And it's interesting, when he calls his 12 apostles, they're listed there in the way that he has called them, by pairs. There's six pairs there. There's Simon and Andrew, that's the first pair. There's James and John, that's the second pair. There's Philip and Bartholomew, that's the third pair. There's Thomas and Matthew, that's the fourth pair. There's James and Lebius, the fifth pair. And then finally, there's Simon and Judas Iscariot. Those were the pairs, those were the six pairs, because he's sending them out two by two. And when he sends them out, he tells them where not to go, not to go into the way of the Gentiles, not to go to the Samaritans, and that's a not yet clause for him. But instead, he sends them, according to the scripture, to the Jew first in verse six, where it says, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He doesn't call them the sheep of Israel, he calls them the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he says that in verse seven, what they're to preach, and then in verse eight, what they're to do, and then he covers in verses nine through 10, the provisions that they are to make for themselves, or rather the provisions, some of the provisions they are not to make for themselves. And then he goes on in verses 15 through 11 through 15 there, he talks about where they're gonna stay. So all these questions are coming to their mind. What are we gonna eat? What are we gonna have with us? And where are we gonna stay? And he covers all of that. And then he goes on and he teaches them further instructions of what they can expect so this doesn't catch them by surprise. And so, he's teaching them, and they're learning. We see that scene, he's teaching and they're learning. It really shows that there's, a, there's like three levels of followers of the Lord here. There were many followers of the Lord. There was a multitudes, it's called multitudes. They were following the Lord. But why? Because it was sensational. What was happening here was sensational. I mean, they were curious, they wanted to hear what he was saying here, this was absolutely new, they'd never heard anything like this before. As I said, in the end of chapter seven, the response of the people, when they heard this, what he was saying, it says, it came to pass, chapter seven, verse 28, seven twenty-eight. it says, when it came to pass when Jesus had ended the sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. This is altogether different. It's different, I've been impressed with, uh, I don't know the Talmud, I don't know it. I mean, I don't know if I was taught it as a kid, but if I was, I'm sure I didn't listen anyways. But I don't know it, and I thought, well, okay. As you know, I had a rabbi friend who, who we made a deal with, we made a deal. I said to him, I says, look, you know, I don't know the Talmud, you know the Talmud, and you don't know the New Testament, I don't know the New Testament, so why don't we change it? And, and on Mondays, you teach me the Talmud, and on a Tuesday, I'll teach you the New Testament. He said, deal, so that's what we're doing. Anyway, uh, so I've been, uh, been my first exposure to the Talmud, and let me tell you, it's very different from the Bible, very different from the New Testament. So far we've covered exactly what happens when two people come to court holding onto a garment, both of them claiming the garment is theirs, okay? And then the judges 
get them to swear, say, well, can you each swear that you own at least half of the garment? And they all do. And then the wisdom of the judges is they divide the garment. And that, okay, so that's it. <laughs> so, all right, that's fantastic. All right, so anyway, no, I mean, I, I don't criticize, I just listen. Anyway, this is the Talmud. So when it says at the end of chapter seven there that they were astonished at his doctrine, because he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Not a lot of clever sayings here, but really deep down impacted their heart. They were impressed and they were following him because of what he was saying there. Now, following him just to hear what he said and of course to see these miracles, that, as it says, as we already covered in another place, it says, it was never so done in Israel, this healings of the leopard and so forth. It was never seen before. So there was a sensation about him and people were following. Now they were followers, but they were only at that level, followers. They were curious, they wanted to see it. Then there's the next level, the follower who is the disciple. The follower who is the disciple, as you know, the word disciple has embedded within it the word that we get discipline. And so this is a person who is a follower who is a learner. He wants to learn. That's the key characteristic of a disciple. He's a learner. That's what we want to be. We want to be learners. We want to be disciples. There were many followers. There were fewer learners, fewer disciples. And then there's the next level, which is the one we're covering right now, which were the apostles. Now, I don't mean that we, want, that we should become literal apostles. No, that's not what we're talking about here. But in the sense of what was an apostle, the word apostle means sent forth, somebody who's sent forth. So this is a person who's not only following, not just learning, but now ready to go into action and to take the command of the Lord and to go forward. And this is where the impact of verse 16 comes in, in when his words, when he says, behold, I send you, behold, I send you. That's the authority that the apostle has. He's a sent one. He didn't say, you are sent forth. He didn't say that. He said, I send you. And that's very important. As a matter of fact, the way the Greek reads here in the cognitive state there, it's really saying, it is I that send you forth. He's putting the emphasis back on himself as the sender, the work of God of receiving sinful men or of judging the rebellious. That's not the work of the sent one. That's the work of the sender. That's the work of God. But the work of witnessing and giving out the message of whether it's received or rejected, that's our work. That's why God sends us into the world for the work of witnessing. Sometimes in the pulpit when a preacher will, will give out an invitation and he'll say, you know, anybody who wants to receive Christ, okay, raise your hand, come forward. And if there's no response, should that preacher feel bad as if he did a good or a bad job? Not at all, because he's done his job. His job is to witness, his job is to give the message. That's all. The response is of that person is not at his business because that's a response that's very personal between that person and God alone, that's it. But the one who is sent, the one who is sent and the one who has responded to that sending call, that's very important because God has in the past, is right now, and will in the future be asking a question. It's the same question that Isaiah heard in Isaiah chapter six, verse eight. 
In Isaiah chapter six, verse eight, Isaiah says, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? That's a question that God has. He doesn't force, he doesn't compel, he doesn't treat people like puppets, he asks a question. It's a challenging question, it's an invitation question. And it was in the past and it is in the future, it is now, it will be in the future, that there are God's followers who will give the same response that Isaiah did give in Isaiah chapter six, verse eight, when Isaiah said, here am I, send me. That's how John the Baptist was was characterized in the book of Isaiah, which was quoted again throughout the Gospels. For example, in Luke chapter seven, verse 27, Luke 7, 27, where God says, behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. So God's responsibility is to make the message of the word of God, which is the word of God, to not come back to him empty, to not come back to him with no results. He will make sure that that does not happen. That's his promise. That's what he says in Isaiah 55, 11. Isaiah 55, 11, he says, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. The word of God goes out of the mouth of God. The word of God goes out of the mouth of God, and that's the word that we bring as a message to the world. It's our job to be faithful, to bring the message to the world. It's God's responsibility to make sure that his word accomplishes the purpose that he sent it out for. Our responsibility, very clear. Make the message loud and clear. We're the messengers, we're the sowers, we're the ones, we are the ones of behold a sower. That's us. Behold a sower went forth to sow. We're the sower. The seed is the word of God. The seed will do its work if we just get it out. Not because of us. We're just the sower. Matthew 13, 3. Matthew 13, 3. Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside. The fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. Forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns. The thorns sprung up, choked them. Other fell into good ground, brought forth fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. The sower sows the seed. The seed does the work. Very interesting of those four types of, of grounds there, only one ground brings forth fruit. Doesn't say the second ground that sprung up brought forth fruit. Doesn't say the third ground that was choked with the thorns bring forth fruit. Only one ground brought forth fruit. That was the last ground of the, of the heart that received the seed that was a softened heart, that made his heart soft to the word of God, to, to God himself. That's the heart that brings forth fruit. And sometimes people say, well, okay, the first person is not saved. Clearly, the devil takes it out. The second person, third person may be saved. It's not what the word says. The word says that it was only the last group that brought forth fruit. And the Lord said, by their fruit, you shall know them. So now he goes forward and he says, I send you, behold, I send you forth as sheep 
He says, as sheep in the midst of wolves. It's scary. It's scary, a sheep in the midst of wolves. It's frightening, a sheep in the midst of wolves. Had it not be for the fact that that's what the Lord was. When he was introduced in John 1.29 by John the Baptist, first time, it says, that's a sheep. Behold, the Lamb of God, John 1.29, which takes away the sin of the world. He's the sin-removing lamb there. But it says in Isaiah 53.7, Isaiah 53.7, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He is the sacrificial lamb. And he's also the lamb, which is in Revelation 17, 14. Revelation 17, 14. These shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. So he's the overcoming lamb. He's the sin-removing lamb. He's the sacrificial lamb. He's the overcoming lamb. And that means that when he sends us out, he's sending us out as he says, I send you forth as sheep. But in Luke 10, 3, Luke 10, 3, it says, I send you as lambs among wolves. He's the, he's the, he's the lamb that goes in front and he sends us out as well. And as we go forward as lamb among wolves, we become closer to him because he was the lamb among the wolves. When we go forward as the light in the world, as lights in the world, we get closer to him. Why? Because of John 8, 12. John 8, 12, where he said, I am the light of the world. And Matthew 5, 14, Matthew 5, 14, where he said, ye are the light of the world. So as we carry the light, as he carried the light, we get closer to him. Now, he wants that there's gonna be no question about what they're gonna face. So before they get into all this persecution and opposition, he says in verse 16, behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's a big warning that he's telling him there. He says, he says, get prepared. And there's one word that's not apparent in any of the, that doesn't appear in any of these verses, the word if. Is that if you were scourged, no, they will scourge you. If this, no, it's gonna happen. There's going to be rejection. He already told them in verse 14 that there was going to be rejection of their person and rejection of their word, which is gonna be a persecution. Now, verse 16 is going on, not just to a rejection, but to actual physical harm. And so, what we have to see here in verse 16 is the connection with verse six. Connection with verse six. Verse six says, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then it says in verse 16, I send you forth to, as sheep in the midst of wolves. So they're being warned. They're being warned that when they go to Israel with God's message, they should expect a strong opposition. And that's why he says, behold, Behold, in other words, it's so important that when they come to the, to the Jewish cities there, not go to the Gentile cities, not go to the Samaritan cities, that they're gonna be walking right into the eye of the storm. They need to know that. They're gonna walk right into the eye of the storm, and he's telling them that, and so he starts off, behold, behold. He really wants this message to get in. He wants this message to get to them. You know, there was another point where he was talking about the fact that he was going to die, he was gonna be delivered into the hands of sinners. He told them that in advance of that happening, and he wanted that message to get in, so the way he couched that message was in Luke 
9.44, Luke 9.44, where he said, let these sayings sink down into your ears. <laughs> That's pretty graphic. He said, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. Now, he didn't want them just to take that statement lightly and say to themselves, yeah, well, he's gonna be delivered into the hands of men. No, he, he, he said, let it sink down into your ears. Don't just let that message hang around the outside of your ears, but let it really get in to the point where, don't just say, well, I heard him, I understand what he said. No, no, he said, when it sinks down deep into the ears, it means that mull on it, think about it, ask questions about it. Why is he gonna let himself be delivered into the hands of sinners? Why would God in the flesh permit sinful men to harm him? And in the same way here, just as he wanted that to sink deep into their ears, he wants this to sink deep into their ears. Behold, I send you forth, in verse 16, into the, in the midst of wolves. He wants that to really to sink in and to ask questions. Why? why? Well, first of all, why are there gonna be wolves? Why would he send us into the midst of the wolves? All these questions he wants to do, because it's not just that they're gonna face disagreement, you know, it's not just that people don't agree with you. We're talking about sheep in the midst of wolves, sheep in the midst of wolves. He's bringing out that there's the hatred the strong hatred. He talked about that in John 15, 25, John 15, 25, quoting from the Old Testament, where he said, this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Hatred without a cause. There was no reason for him to be hated like he was, but they, they did. And it's so ironic, it's so surprising that the Jewish people should do this because they have been the brunt of hatred without a cause. As a matter of fact, there's a term that's used in the Old Testament to describe this irrational anti-Semitism, this irrational hatred of the Jewish people, and God calls it, in the case of the Philistines, who for such a long period of time hated the Jewish people, God called it the old hatred, the old hatred in Ezekiel 25, 15. Ezekiel 25, 15. Thus saith the Lord God, because the Philistines have dealt by revenge and have taken vengeance with a despiteful heart to destroy it for the old hatred. It's the old hatred. By calling their opponents wolves, what he's saying, in essence, he's just laying the groundwork here for where he's gonna come out in verse 22 of this chapter, verse 22, and he's gonna reemphasize when he said, you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Just the name, just the name of Jesus elicits this hatred. It says in John 15, 18, John 15, 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And he says, they hated me without a cause. Well, I guess you could say there was a cause because in John 15, 24, John 15, 24, he said, if I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not sinned. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. So the reason, well, you won't say the reason, but it, they would say, we hate him because he's put the spotlight on our sin. Now that should have been a good thing for them. They should have said, okay, let's take care of that. Let's deal with that. We got a problem. But instead, their response was hatred. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.